What is up, everybody? I just want to start by saying thank you to all of my listeners, both the longtime listeners, of course, and the newer listeners who have come aboard more recently. Uh, really appreciate you guys taking time out of your days to listen and sharing these episodes with friends and family. This word of mouth marketing is by far and away the number one reason that this podcast has the reach that it does. We've continued to grow quite a bit recently. We're reaching all ends of this earth, and it's because of you, the audience, sharing this with friends and family. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. I uh, want to also point you to our social media pages. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. You could see tips, uh, self-improvement, self-help, personal development tips and philosophies, and of course, video updates and other things going on with the podcast. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And finally... If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I ask that you take literally 20, 30 seconds out of your day right now and go to the podcast page, The Optimal Life with Nate Haber, and give us a rating. It, you don't even need to leave a review. If you leave a review, great. The constructive criticism, the positive feedback, we welcome everything. But if you could give us the rating and if you find great value in this, I'd ask for the five stars. That will continue to allow us to reach as well. And now... Please enjoy the show. The Optimal Life. Ryan, welcome. So I, I see that uh, in your book series, Get Out of Your Head, uh, the first part is the toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety. And then, of course, the second part, navigating the abyss of depression. So let's start there. What is the difference between anxiety and depression? Yeah. And just want to say, hey, Nate, thanks for having me. Um, so let's let's jump into the questions, right? So anxiety, I like to say, is future-oriented fear, right? So um, if fear is like we are scared because we're standing in front of a bear right now, anxiety is more we are worried about being in front of a bear two weeks from now, a month from now, something like that. Um, depression is Something different, right? I, I would like to say that it is a pervasive state of hopelessness and helplessness. It's a feeling, um, you know, that things won't change, that we don't have agency in our lives. And so even though the diseases are both pretty different from, from one another, uh, you know, we see in the statistics that they are often comorbid, which means that a, a lot of folks who experience one experience the other. And then in the second book, in my second book, I um, I talk about how sometimes anxiety can lead to depression and vice versa. So can you be depressed without anxiety? Yeah, definitely, right? Um, I think, you know, th there's there's some context or there's some research where folks may say like, um, th th there's a thing basically, basically called the grief exception, which is like, you know, if somebody passes away in your life that, uh, you know, a loved one and you're undergoing grief because of that, uh, then that that is not necessarily carved out as depression. It's something different. But but I'm like, dude, if you feel this, if you feel depressed, regardless of what the uh, stimuli is or, or the cause is like, that's depression, you know what I mean? And so I, I think I point at something like that, because it's easy to be like, that stimulus has nothing to do with fear, right? Or, or I mean, th there's fear of like, what you know, I, I'm worried that I won't be able to go on with my loved one or something like that. Um, but it's not like I'm afraid of, you know, this thing that's coming down the road in the future. It's like, I am feeling depressed. I am feeling awful because of what has happened and where I find myself in my life right now. Um, that sort of stimulus is not brought on by you know those future-oriented fears. So for somebody that's experiencing that angst feeling in the current moment, are you suggesting that 
if it is truly anxiety, it's it, it's a it's a feeling that's being triggered by the thought of a future event. It, it, can it be, be can it be triggered by something that's happening right then and there? So, I mean, I, I think this is where we get into like nuance and semantics, right? So, um, you know, folks will say, would say if, if you look at the dictionary or whatever, right? If something is happening in front of you right now, let's just go back to that example of a bear being in front of you, right? Folks would call that fear rather than anxiety because it's present. Um, but at the same time, right, it's like, um, and this is where we get into those nuances is if we are nervous about a job interview that's two weeks away, and then we get to that job interview and we are still experiencing the same symptoms that we were enduring in the lead up uh, to that event. Yeah, sure. I would still call that anxiety. You know, it's, um, does it really, is it really that helpful to be that semantic in these situations? Probably not. Um, but I, I think the important thing, right, is like sort of, um, is to say to ourselves, like, uh, if, I guess it's it's sort of like, you know, we want to make sure that if we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about a specific situation, um, that that lead up period and the the symptoms during the lead up period and the symptoms in the moment are similar, if not the same, because it's sort of like the lead up period can bring on the latter. Um, at the same time, the reason why I say that it's not all that helpful to be semantic at times is like, often what we experience is that the symptoms of anxiety and fear are pretty much the same things. The The only difference is the time that we, uh, the, the label of the, you know, sort of the time, um, what's the right component that we add to it. And so if we think about it that way, and that's sort of one of the ways that I, I talk about it in my first book, uh, I then say that it's like, it doesn't really matter if it's fear or anxiety that, you know, the physical manifestations, your heart racing, your palms sweating, not being able to think clearly, those are all going to be shared experiences across fear and anxiety, which, you know, I guess good for us in a sense, in the sense that the same strategies uh, that we can apply to anxiety to mitigate that experience, uh, those strategies are also going to apply to fear. Okay. So it really doesn't matter what label we put on it. I I, th I think that's the the long and short there. The, the important thing is recognizing that it's happening and then starting to implement those strategies. So exactly. let's start with with some of that then Brian. What are some of those strategies that allow that you would say to somebody, okay, you're feeling this, you've got the sweaty palms, you've got the heart racing. How do they then calm that down? Yeah, the you know the the tough thing about calming down in those situations is is having awareness, right? Being able to say, I already know, I already I I understand what is going on right now. I'm I'm in my head, my body is revved up whatever it may be. There are times when, you know, Minutes will go by, maybe even longer than that, where we're just stewing on thoughts, we're chewing things over, and that awareness piece doesn't come in. Until we have the awareness or we're really good at this and all of these strategies are, are sort of baked into our, our subconscious where we just implement them without even thinking about it, uh, it can be difficult to then go to the strategies and say, now I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do that, right? So I think the first piece is practicing awareness and mindfulness in general of being like, when I'm anxious, I need to remember to, you know, stand up, walk around a little bit, acknowledge how I'm feeling, try to not attach to the thoughts so much. Um, Let me and just the stop you real quick. Let me just yeah. interject. So people that don't have that training yet and their brain's not telling them that they're aware, they don't even understand. It. What are they thinking is going on? You know, I think the interesting thing is um, it, it's a different kind of thinking. They, it, it's not, it might not necessarily be as much of a critical or like, zoomed out, hey, I'm looking at my body. It's more like attaching to the fear with the inability to then 
do that zoom out and say, oh, this is what's going on right now. It's more like, it's almost like a little bit of a panic, right? Where you attach to the symptoms and you're just, that's all you can think about. You're you're in your head sort of cycling over what is happening to you. And, rather and you almost than, just feel like this is this is the, the, the hand I was dealt. I can't do anything about, you're almost just kind of in that moment feeling like this is it without realizing there's there's ways that you could fix this. Is that? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. Okay. So anyways, I'm sorry I interrupted, but you were saying. Yeah, that's okay. That the first part is recognizing (laughs) that you're even in this state of mind. Yep. And I think, you know, I I do bring some of like, uh, I like to bring like evolutionary psychology and stuff to some of my writings and teachings. If you think about, um, you know, the way that our brains work uh, and the way that our fight or flight nervous systems work, right? It's like, a long time ago when our when our uh, ancestors were fighting off predators or running away from predators in the wild, the important skill to have, the essential skill to have uh, was to be able to identify that threat and run away as quickly as possible, right? So it was like in those situations, it's it wasn't that helpful to sit there and be like, oh, that's a tiger and, you know, is the tiger friendly and all that, right? It's like that that logic piece wasn't really there. Um, so if, if you think about the way that if we if we fast forward to today, we still have all you know that nervous nervous energy and our fight or flight systems still still operate in the same fashions. We're still working with the same brain from thirty to one hundred thousand years ago, more or less, right? And so it's like uh, the tricky thing about this is that logic is not a core part of the fight or flight nervous system. So when we get anxious, when we get revved up, our ability to think clearly is not really in there. Uh, it's almost as if our prefrontal cortex has been shut off a little bit. And so in order to get to that awareness, that important piece that we talked about a minute ago, we need to almost you know, get ourselves a little bit out of this fight or, fight or flight state. So um, instead of sitting there and being like, well, I'm going to think through this and I'm going to th- think through that, because that that's actually quite challenging. Uh, and, and this helps me kind of lead into some of these strategies. The reason why you know I say that the most important strategy when you are anxious is to breathe deeply uh, is because as you are breathing deeply and exhaling deeply specifically, um, it causes your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of your fight or flight nervous system, to activate and bring you back towards calm a little bit. Once you are a little more calm, then your prefrontal cor- cortex will come back online and you can unlock that rational capacity a little bit more. Um, you know, I think I think this is at least accessible or possible in today's age where, you know, we're not really standing in front of tigers all that often, right? It's like, we're anxious and these things, you know, the things that we get anxious about, they may very well be things that we don't want to endure, we don't want to encounter, but they're probably not going to kill us, right? Um, So it's like, in our modern world, uh, it's okay to breathe deeply, calm ourselves down, unlock that awareness, and then think through the problem a little bit um, because those threats are not necessarily life or death ones. They're more things that upset us, right? Um, and then from there, we can we can bring in some of the other steps, some of our other favorite strategies that might have a little bit more, um, I guess, awareness or logic infused into them where we say to ourselves like something like this, right? So um, uh, one of my strategies is determine the true importance of what's making you anxious, which is basically to say to yourself, Take a step back and be like, okay, I understand I'm going to this job interview and I'm nervous about it, but my brain is telling me this thing could kill me. Uh, when If I take a step back and I zoom out, I say, you know what, even if I mess up in this situation, yeah, it will be upsetting, it'll be frustrating, but I can go back onto LinkedIn or monster.com or whatever it is and find a new opportunity um, as soon as that happens, right? It's, it's not going to end my life. Mm. That's a, That's a good piece of advice because I feel like when we're in those moments in life, it feels like this is it. This is an all or nothing proposition. 
if I don't succeed here, I am a failure for the rest of mankind, using your example. And what you're saying is whether it's a job interview or something else, recognizing that, hey, this is not a life or death situation. I mean, if it's a life or death situation, we're talking about something totally different. Right. But if it's not a life or death situation, it sounds like you're almost just trying to find some perspective and thinking about really what what it is and, and realizing that, hey, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but it's not the end of the world. And quite often, and I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, something that they stressed out about or were anxious or fearful of ended up being a silver lining. Does that ever happen? It definitely can happen. You know, the the story that I go back to sometimes um, in, in my teachings or whatever, is I'll talk to my brother about stuff like this. And he says, you know, there were times in high school where I asked this girl out or, you know, I, I wanted things to work out with a particular female or whatever, and it didn't work out. And I was devastated. And he's like, I look back now and I'm like, I'm glad those things didn't work out because if I, if they did, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had my kids. Um, so sometimes doing logic like that can, can be interesting and, and kind of fun, right. To, to look back and laugh a little bit and say like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they actually worked out the way that they ended up working out. Um, you know, at the same what's that time, song? I, what's that song? Uh, some of God's greatest gr- gifts are unanswered prayers, right? Like that's, that's, that's a country song, but it's, okay. it's so true. I got to download that. I, 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 uh, summertime getting into the country music, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Go ahead. I'm, I interrupted. I'm going to cool. look, I'm going to look that up so I can. Yeah. With it. Yeah. No worries. I mean, I was mostly at the, the end of that thread there, but, um, I guess what I was going to say was, you know, just cause I can point at one story and say, uh, this is funny, or, you know, you can look back and, la- and laugh at things. I- I'm definitely not trying to downplay that going through disappointing and upsetting situations, I'm not trying to downplay the difficulty of those things, right? Sometimes we do experience events that change our life in different ways, and we can't always make sense of those things immediately. Um, So, you know, it's like if somebody's listening and they're going through one of those events right now, it's, I would just say I'm there for you. You know, I understand how painful that could be. um, And maybe we won't be able to figure out how that will, uh, you know, result in a silver lining at some point, we might not be able to do that for a few years or whatever it may be. But I guess, you know, just just keeping your eye on the fact that it is difficult. Give yourself credit for going through it, but also know that um, good things could unfold from it in time. No doubt. Unanswered Prayers by Garth Brooks. Go check it out. Uh, cool. done with this. Um, what about for somebody that's got to do public speaking? We all know that that's like the number one fear for most people. And yeah somebody's got to go and give a presentation, whether it's in front of a classroom or in front of a, a, an arena full of thousands of people. Is yeah. that, how are, how are those people to try to ease the mind when it comes to those anxious thoughts of having to stand up in front of a room and worry about the judgment of others? What do you say to that? Yeah, th- this is a tough one. And one that I could talk about in a bunch of different ways for a long time. I think that to, address your point, which was basically that a lot of people have a fear of public speaking, right? Um, I saw some stat or listened to it on a podcast or something a couple of years ago that basically said the number one most common fear for people is public speaking. Number two is death. It's like (laughs) we are, we are, we are literally death, deathly afraid of public speaking. And it's not, that's not to, you know, cast judgment. It's to say, yeah, it's difficult, right? To get up in front of however many people Put ourselves out there, put our ideas out there. That that's a scary proposition. At the same time, there are things that we can do to mitigate some of that fear. Um, and again, it's like I 
I could go on for days. So I guess I'll try to hit some of the high level points. One thing that is a little bit corny, but I do think can be helpful, right? People often say like, picture the audience in their underwear, right? And the, it's the, the purpose of that is not necessarily to actually be like, oh yeah, this person's underwear is this color and that whatever, right? It's more um, a pattern interrupt to say, I'm going to stop focusing on myself and I'm going to start focusing on everybody else in the audience, right? Because when we are afraid of public speaking, sure, we are afraid of what people are thinking of us, but the the sort of the bottom line is still us. It's it's our, you know other people's interpretation of what we're saying, how we look, whether we're, we, we sound stupid, whatever it is. So if we're able to sort of flip the script, turn the tables a little bit and say, I'm going to stop worrying about myself so much and criticizing myself so much and start focusing on the audience, um, that might help me. Uh, one of the things that I think that can sometimes lead to is being able to say, you know, this this speech is not about me. People aren't here necessarily to to, to look at Brian, to think about Brian. They are here to hear a message, right? And so it's like, if there is something that you are talking about that you find important, uplifting, whatever it is, to be able to connect back to the purpose for giving that speech, that can sometimes help us mitigate some of that fear and say, look, I'm talking about uh, child adoption and child adoption is something that is near and dear to my heart, right? Rather than saying, oh, I, I don't want to give this speech because I'm worried what people will think of me. You say, forget about me for a second. Let me get this message out there and hopefully have it resonate with some people in the audience and then sort of, uh, you know, be able to enact some change in the real world. So I think that can be helpful. The other thing too, just another high level bullet is sort of, um, you know, I, I, something that I talk about all the time in my writings and it's, you know, the the ethos of my brand, get out of your head, right? Is like, as we are going into these scary situations, a lot of us, myself included, have the tendency to think think these situations through and rehearse them, right? We hear a lot of times in self-help circles that, you know, in order to do or be or achieve what it is that you want to accomplish, you need to see see yourself doing that thing, having that thing, whatever it may be. I find that, uh, you know, I, I've, I've run those patterns a lot in my life. And I think a lot of people who are listening will have as well. You run those patterns long enough, you realize that they only lead you to more fear, more angst, uh, negative feelings, right? What can happen is sometimes you go do something that you didn't think about at all and you perform really well. And all of a sudden you start to poke holes in that belief of saying, I need to rehearse this speech in my mind of, I need to see myself up there connecting with the crowd, not messing up, all those sorts of things. When you start thinking about not messing up, not being anxious, not looking like a fool, you're saying to your brain, anxiety, looking like an idiot, looking like a fool, sounding dumb. And then you start going, you know, into that downward spiral. So I think um, to the best, you know, the best of your ability to the degree that you can, you know, permit yourself to not go into those spirals to say, you know what, I'm going to practice my speech. I'm going to rehearse my lines in front of the mirror and make sure that I have everything down, but I'm not going to see myself on stage up there because that's only going to make me more nervous and start, you know, that's going to make me think about all the all the things that could go wrong. Instead, I'm just going to get up there. I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to deliver that speech and I'm wa- going to walk off the stage and let's hope that everything goes well. And I'll still be alive afterwards. That is that is something that you know as as tr- like it sounds kind of obvious, but but that's like we need that reminder because when we're going through all that mental rehearsal, it really feels like this is the only thing we're gonna. This so speech is gonna kill us, you know. Yeah. No matter how many times I've gotten on stage in front of people, whether it's been a corporate presentation or back in school or law school, whatever, 
I've my my I always have a racing heartbeat. It it never fails. It could be in a group of ten people or a group of four hundred. It's the same feeling every single time. And then once you get going, it seems to lessen. But it's just always that that anticipation. Everything anticipation in life is could drive us crazy. And I think oh, that's yeah. kind of the theme that we're talking about. There's no doubt about it. So we focused on uh, anxiety quite a bit. I want to get to depression, but before we get to some of the ways you deal with depression, um, tell us a little bit about you because you didn't get into this thing by accident. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, the Get Out of Your Head brand, my books, and all the content that I pump out is a product of uh, personal experience. So I would say in high school and college, dealt with anxiety a lot. Um, and then in later college and also, uh, you know, about five years ago, had these depressive episodes that lingered for a pretty long time. And I think, you know, as you, for most people, right, it's it's like if you spend a lot of time in any area of your life, you, I don't know what the right word is, like maybe you become passionate about it or or you, there's more emotion associated there, right? And And I always say to folks like, for me, it was like I spent so much time in my own mind worrying being depressed, being anxious, turning over fearful thoughts and patterns. And uh, you do that for long enough and it affects you so strongly that it becomes part of your soul and identity, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually I started to make some progress with both conditions. Uh, anxiety first, depression was a little bit further uh, further along or it, it took me more time to get there. Um, but as I started to make progress, I was like, you know what? I, I call me crazy, call me, uh, you know, naive, whatever, but I want to take some of the lessons and insights that I've derived and share them with people because I know how painful it is to endure these things. And I'd like to, uh, in some small degree, help lessen the suffering that people go through, uh, you know, with mental illness. No doubt. So what do you mentioned depressive episodes? What does something like that look like for you? Yeah, I can talk about, you know, the, the most recent one. So this was five years ago uh, in 2018, and it ended up leading to me writing my second book. It was a confluence of different uh, events that sort of sent me into this downward spiral. And I think for folks, um, you know, depression can take on a variety of different um, flavors or, it, you know, it can manifest in different ways. So the, the episode that I described might not be the way that it manifests for other people. But for me, it was this, again, confluence of different factors. It was basically a, a bit of a quarter life crisis of just, you know, seeing that life was going by really, really quickly. And I was, I felt as though I was older than, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe I should be. I was like, wow, my time on this earth is is pretty limited. And it feels like it's hitting me in the face right now. Um, also, uh, around that same time for one reason or another, I got into, you know, climate science quite a bit and started reading all these, you know, daunting papers about like the state of the world and the climate and, you know, how humanity was about to doom itself and whatnot. That sent me into a really dark place because it's one thing to be like, uh, you know, I'm having trouble in this specific area of my life. It's another to be like, you know, I'm not saying this is accurate or not, but just to hold the thought to say, oh, all of humanity is doomed. And like, you know, we're about to wipe the species off the planet, something like that. Uh, a couple other things, which was basically, I got into this new job um, that I that I was really excited about initially. It was something that I had set up for a, for a long time and said, if I could get just get this job, I'll be happy. Um, and it just wasn't an engaging job. It wasn't fun. I, we weren't doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I wasn't passionate about it. And it, it was this discrepancy for me where like, you know, looking back, I wish I... It, I how I look at it now is I say to myself, I should have just moved on and been like, look, this isn't working out. I got to go do something else that I'm that I'm passionate about where I feel like my skills are uh, 
being put to good use. But at the time, I, I, I was so, I guess I was shocked by the fact that I could want something so badly and then dislike it so much that I was sort of just frozen, you know? Mm. Um, and then the last piece kind of to top it off was my grandmother passed away right around that same time. And it, again, it was just this confluence of factors, which just set, you know, kind of sunk me further and further into my own mind and, you know, questioning everything in my life, ex existence, death, the afterlife, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you can go into your head and you can question all of these things. And I would say more often than not, that is not a good strategy, right? That can only lead to even more questions, uh, you know, put you in dark places. So, you know, that that episode was me sort of coming to grips with the fact that I didn't know that much about depression, even though I had been through it before, um, and realizing that I needed to build another toolkit, right? To be able to figure out what worked for me in terms of depression and how to, you know, control my mind a little bit more or or guide my thoughts in a more helpful fashion. Um, and eventually, you know, taking all those learnings that that then pushed me to write the second book. It was just, again, basically getting getting to a point where I was like, I've made some progress here. And man, like that that episode, I'm not trying to compare mine to anybody else's because uh, I know I live a pretty good life overall, but that was really painful to go through. Um, and I would not want to go through it again. Uh, and I look at other folks and I say, if they are going through that stuff, man, I want to help as much as I can. No doubt. So those were causes of this episode, but what were some of the effects besides getting in your own head? Talk. Did you have physical ailments? Did you could you not, were you just sleeping more? Did you turn to booze? What were some of the the effects of those causes? Yeah, so I, I don't really, you know, I'm I don't use a lot of like drugs and alcohol. It's more I will in social settings because I it's fun to engage with people and whatnot. But I, I'm not the kind of person who has a lot of like crutches in in that regard. It was more yes, like uh, sleeping longer than I should have, not having you know motivation and energy. And and if I'm being totally honest, like I would say like suicidal ideation. Uh, and I say ideation in the sense that like the thoughts were in my head. It was not something that I ever wanted to act on or that I really like, you know, thought about acting on. It was just it was just that I was in so much pain that it was like, I'd be better if I weren't here. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Interesting. Now, when you're thinking about those ideations, are you able to think about your loved ones, your family, your friends? Hey, what what will life be like for them? God forbid I were to really act upon this. Yeah. Uh, or Or when you're in a dark place like that. Do those thoughts not even come into play? Well, I, I think I think it's a little bit of all of the above, right? I think you know. So I put in my second book. Um, you know, there's a section where I basically said, "Hey, like we, you know, when we're in these places, we need we need to basically have already created a list of the people that we love the most, the people that we, you know, we care for. Uh, you know, we we basically uh, the people we get out of bed for in the morning to to you know impact the world, that sort of thing." If we already have that list and then we're feeling down, we can say to ourselves, like, if I were not here anymore, this person would be devastated. That person would be devastated. I wouldn't get to see these people again. Um, that is definitely an important and impactful strategy. It's not meant to shame somebody who is depressed, right? It's, it's meant to be like, look, there are still good things in your life. And we don't want the depression to blind you from those things. Um, at the same time, I like you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Where it's like, could the depressive episode, could the feelings distract you from those things? There is no doubt about that. And I think that's one of the most challenging things about depression is you feel alone. You know, you feel as though you're the only one suffering through this and that nobody could understand you or uh, that nobody knows what you're that what you're going through. And it's it's this trick. It's this illusion that our minds play on us. 
Um, and it's a reminder to, again, return to those lists and say, this, you know, I want to see my parents. I want to see, you know, my brother, my sister, my siblings, whatever it is. I I want to continue living for them. Um, but it, it, again, it, it comes back to that awareness piece that we talked about at the beginning, right? Is like sometimes our feelings are really strong. Uh, we need reminders to bring ourselves back um, to those good things in our lives, because otherwise, like we we can stay in those dark places. Um, and it's not again, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to shame somebody or make them feel guilty for going through these things. It's just to level set and be like, that is a realistic possibility and we need to guard against it as best we can. So somebody's listening right now. They're in a depressive state. They've been down and out for weeks, months, maybe years, right? Because depression can last a long time. Yep. What are some tips, techniques, pieces of advice that you would offer those people? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I know that's, I know it's, it's across the spectrum. I know it's a little sure. thing, but just in general. Yeah. So like you said, it's a little tough because it's, it's sort of trying to sum up the, the second book into a couple paragraphs. But I think, you know, from the research that I have in the book, and then also just, you know, continual conversations after publishing it is like, I think that on, on the male side, I think that men tend to gravitate more towards like, you know, having a purpose, having a mission. And that's not to say that females don't, but maybe their purpose and mission might be a little bit different, right? So it's like, for men, it could be like, I want to get up, I want to go to work, I want to build something, I want to feel as though I'm making an impact. Um, that resonates with me in the sense that like, when I was going through that depressive episode, it was like, I was waking up every day and I would talk to my team and I'd be like, hey, what are we, you know, I'm a software developer. I'd be like, what are we building today? today? And they're like, uh, we're not building anything like, you know, management is we got this red tape and they're not sure what they want to build next and all that. So I'm just sitting there twiddling my sitting there twiddling my thumbs, feeling like, oh, like what what is the point? I feel so useless, you know? Um, and then I think on the female side, what is probably like what what the research tends to say, and again, these are these are spectrums, right? Where it's like so, some some women tr- towards tend to gravitate more towards the mission thing, and some some men trend to, tend to gravitate more towards what I'm about to say. But I think on the female side, it can tend to um, what can help a little bit more is is feeling heard, feeling you know uh, feeling loved, and like having actual conversations where uh, you know that that person is not necessarily needing to hold everything inside. They're able to vent and you know have somebody. That again, they feel has heard them uh, and understands them. Having you know close friends, like legitimate emotional friends, um, that can be very helpful. Uh, I think if we if we don't go into genders for for a minute, uh, some of the high level categories that can be helpful is like you know uh, starting a regimented exercise plan. You know, there's there's plenty of research out out there that shows that you know getting on one of these plans can be just as effective in the treatment of depression as, um, as something like psychotropic drugs. So, uh, but, you know, that, isn't that got it? That's so hard for someone that's in that dark place yep. to then say, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to get on a treadmill today. I mean, that that's a, again, that's a far cry from the way they're feeling in that moment. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, it's a very good point. I think, I think at the same time, right. It's like, if we break it down a little bit and we say, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking you to like go to the gym and go do, you know, squats and deadlifts for an hour. It's like, what if you say to yourself, today, my goal is to get out of the house and go for a walk for five minutes and get tomorrow outside. it's going to be seven and tomorrow mm-hmm. and the next day it's going to be nine, right? It's just getting your body moving and getting these emotions flowing through you a little bit. I am totally there with you, right? It's like these diseases are brutal at times. Um, we just have to like figure out where we're at uh, and find a little bit of leverage on ourselves to be like, what what is achievable in this situation? Interesting. Okay. So uh, get outside. 
uh, talk, talk therapy, talk to somebody that's a close to you, loved one. But when, on the male uh, example, so they're not feeling feeling fulfilled, and they don't have that purpose, and they're feeling depressed, like you said. I want to I want to do something today. No, we have all this red tape, bureaucratic systems, too much. We we can't be innovative. We're not empowered to make decisions, and they're sitting there and they're doing that every single day. So what? Do, how do they get past that? Yeah, in that specific situation, there's there's probably two ways to look at it, or maybe maybe three, right? So one is like, is there any conversation that you can have in your job to be like, look, this is what I need out of out of these responsibilities to make myself feel fulfilled and happy. Uh, if your job cannot provide that, then you have to look elsewhere. And what I mean by looking elsewhere is like, start with hobbies. Is there something that you could do after work? Maybe it's, you know, you paint for an hour, you play the guitar for 20 minutes, something that you enjoy that could infuse a little bit of excitement and passion back into your life. Um, if you don't have something like that, if you don't want something like that, then I think the only other option, and, and sure, I'm probably overlooking a couple things, but I think the last option is to say to yourself, like, what do I want to do, right? I'm, I have this career. I'm not fulfilling a certain drive or urge, whatever it is through it. Is there another position out there that could help me fulfill those sorts of things better, right? It's like, if you've been in a job for over a year or, or however many months and you're like, I don't see things improving here, then at some point you have to be honest with yourself and say, you know, may, maybe there's something else I want to go do, whether it's a, a totally different skill set, different job, or it's just like go work at a different company. Uh, the mission of the company could be the same. It could be different, but like you want to utilize your skills, right? In a way that uh, creates some sort of impact that then drives that fulfillment. So, uh, you know, I, I am one of the people, a, a kind of person where it's like not dogmatic, not, not thinking in specific ways at all. It's like, how do we, how do we generate any kind of positive impact for ourselves? And that's why I'm like, you know, throw a lot of ideas out there because a lot of the time, it's not going to be obvious as to what, you know, what steps we should take. So it's like for each person in their own individualized circumstances, we have to look at those circumstances and say, in in this situation, what's the best option? It might not be the same as the one that I'm talking about on this podcast or uh, that somebody else find, finds themselves in, right? Get out of your head. Uh, it's two volume book series. We have linked that in the show notes. If you guys want to learn more about the books or, or even purchase the books, of course, you can click the link and, and you'll be, you can find them there. Uh, Brian, where else do you want people to find you uh, online, social media, et cetera? Yeah. Get out of your is the website. And then on Instagram, it's get out of your head as well. Uh, no dashes, no spaces in either of those, uh, those resources, URLs. Um, th those are probably the good spots right now. If you, if you, if you're on Facebook and you want to get, uh, you know, company, company updates, it's facebook.com slash get out of your head books, uh, all one word on, on that, um, that prefix or, uh, the, I forget what the word is there the, at Beautiful. the end. So Beautiful. Yeah. We'll link most of that. We'll link some of that in the show notes. Uh, you've given a lot of advice, insight, tips, et cetera, today. You, you've been vulnerable sharing some of your story. We appreciate that. Uh, final question for you. So uh, somebody, again, is listening, whether they're anxious, whether they're fearful, whether they're depressed, whether they're all of the above. What's your message to those folks? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's going to sound a little corny, but it's like it's it's a message of love. It's being like, I under like. I can't know all the details of everything you are going through, but I know those feelings and they are brutal at times. Right. And it's like, um, to the degree that you can keep fighting, right. Uh, things can get better. They often will. Um, and, and I'm there for, you You know, it's like, uh, I've been in that battle before. I know what that feels like. I have a lot of respect and ad admiration for folks who are, who are in that dark spot right now. And, uh, you know, 
people need to hear it, but it's like, I, you know, if you're listening and you're going through those things, I love you. And I, and I hope that they get better for you. And people could reach you through the website and anybody can contact you. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I would, I would, it's, that's a fun thing for me, a rewarding thing. So I, I love to, I love when people reach out. I love to talk. Ryan, thank you so much for today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Nate.